Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Max Cutler, former head of talk creator content and partnerships at Spotify, and also the founder of Premier storytelling studio, Parcast. Cutler was recently named one of the most influential people in podcasting by Hollywood Reporter. And earlier this year, Cutler actually made headlines in the news because he had planned to depart from the company Spotify in May to launch a new venture. And in our conversation, we're going to discuss everything from the growth of the podcasting industry, really what it takes to create and monetize a massive podcast, and lessons he's learned from grassroots days at Parcast. And really, this is an absolute masterclass on how to build a massive podcast show. So please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Max Cutler. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how'd you get your job, Okay, How'd you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Thanks for having me first. I'm really honored to be here. I think for me, it was desperation. Um, I It was 2015, the end of 2015, and I had another company before I launched what was Parcast Studios. And that was a 
a company called Bazanza that was meant to aggregate a bunch of links on the internet. Um, that did not work out for various reasons. I was driving back from all places of Las Vegas and I was listening to podcasts, something I love. Um, I've always loved the audio content. I grew up in, in an audio household. My dad was in radio and I started to hear a bunch of ads and podcasts for the first time. And I knew that I'd have to get a real job, quote unquote, and work for somebody um, if I couldn't figure something out. And I just felt that my love for content, my love for audio seemed like a logical starting point for me. Uh, and when I heard ads, I thought there was a business. And so I literally got home. I spent three months learning everything I could about the podcast industry at that time, which you know was pretty early on. Uh, and I launched my first show six months later on Saul Murder's True Crime Stories. What happened next? Well, when we launched, we launched June 13th of 2016. Um, and... It was one of those rare moments, especially for a founder, where there was some sort of like an instant gratification, instant feedback loop that we went to number three on the Apple charts at that time. We uh, hosted on SoundCloud because we were being very cheap around financials and, and hosting costs. And we started seeing thousands and thousands of people listening in the first 24 hours, 48 hours. Um, and I remember going out to lunch and thinking, wow, this is really easy. Like, you know, the first show within 72 hours, we're having success. Um, that turned out not to be true. It's very hard as, as, as any successful founder knows, but it was unbelievable to see the response we got so quickly. And I just wanted to do more. Um, and really from there, one show became two shows, became five shows. And then within three years, we ended up selling the company to Spotify. Mm. And like a lot of people these days, it's interesting you said that uh, 2015, 2016 was early days podcast. That's probably around the time that I launched the Founder Podcast. And I remember back then, like podcasts were hot and they were even hot like four or five years before that. And then they made a bit of a resurgence, but now they are really hot. Like it seems like every person has a podcast or wants to launch a podcast. I'm curious, like, do you think the landscape has changed much when it comes to creating a show that gets traction, you know, almost six, seven, eight years ago compared to now? Yeah. I mean, it has changed. I would say one thing, you make a good point. I think everything probably in business, but definitely in media is cyclical. Things come in, they go out, they come back. You may be even seeing that with podcasting right now. There's a lot of doom and gloom around the podcast industry um, in terms of the business models. Is it going to continue growing at the rate it's growing? And I think those are fair questions. Now, I think right now what you have is in 2016, when I launched Podcast, there was roughly 300,000 podcasts. There is now over five and a half, six million podcasts alone on Spotify, millions more on YouTube, millions more on Apple. So there's a lot more competition. I think the biggest change um, is that and I equate it to almost blogging in 20, 2008, 2009. I think everybody wants to have a podcast. They see value out of it. But the ones that are really cutting through all the clutter, that, that's rare right now, right? A lot of people want to be the next version of Caller Daddy, the next version of Emma Chamberlain, the next version of Ashley Flowers, the next um, Gary Vee, whatever that looks like. But those podcasts exist for a reason. They're already there. And so I think now a lot creators have to be a little bit more deliberate around the formats they're doing and how they think about sending out and how they think about the marketing. And that's why I think the biggest probably evolution is, is we're doing this in video. 
right? This video was not a thing a couple of years ago. And my guess is you're doing this video for a couple of reasons. And one is marketing and clipping on all the other platforms you can do to really build more awareness, build more interesting stories and clips that hook your audience into hopefully this episode. And I think that has been the biggest change um, in podcasting definitely in the last 18 months is this push towards video. And is that good or bad? I don't know. But what I do know is it does help build awareness for a brand and a podcast and a creator. Mm. So what what do you think are the key things that you did in the early days of launching your first podcast? I know you launched subsequent shows afterwards uh, with uh, on, on the podcast uh, brand but uh, network. But what, what were the key things that you did to get traction straight away? Like you said, you had thousands of listeners in the first 24 hours. I think for me, um, when most – I was very scared of creating an amazing podcast and nobody ever hearing about it, no one ever finding it, no one ever listening to it. Uh, and I think that a lot of – at that time, a lot of creatives and still I think to this day, they focus only solely on the content and not the marketing plan. Podcast was very deliberate on spending dollar for dollar on the production and marketing. And that's pretty high – you know, for the, for a podcast. Um, and the reason for that was exactly my, my paranoia. I'm going to create this amazing podcast. And no one's going to know it exists. And so what we did was I didn't raise money. So I had to go where the audience was, which was in the podcasting space. Um, still to this day, true crime does very well in podcasting. There's a huge audience for true crime content. At that time, I felt that I can position podcasts to be counter programming, as I would say, to what is already out there. And that instead of being personality led, we're going to be story led. We're going to be, we're going to be really focused on the facts and focused on the research. And what that allowed me to do is go out to other existing true crime podcast hosts and develop relationships with them that actually position this as if your audience loves your show and they love true crime, they're going to love podcasts and it's not competitive. Because what podcast is doing is it's telling the story, it's doing the research, it's going a little bit deeper. And really, I had to fake it until I make, made it because I didn't have any money. And so I created this network effect with a bunch of true crime talent um, that were nice enough <laughs> to, to promote Unsolved Murders at that time than other shows that came after that allowed me to have a base for what podcast was. And podcast always stayed focused. When podcast was growing and when podcast was at its best, it was because we did one format, we had one beat. Our audience knew exactly what to expect. If we were coming out every Monday with a show like Serial Killers, it would be out every Monday and we became a part of somebody's day. And I think that was really important to me was um, being predictable and always showing up for your audience. And that allowed us to gain an audience pretty quickly because podcasting is not viral, right? It's rare that you launch an episode and the next day you're having huge success. You It takes sometimes three or six months. And by doing that, when we continued to grow, we had a catalog of episodes and a catalog of content where people were just hooked. Mm. It's very hard. You said something interesting, and I agree. It's very hard to grow a podcast. Um, and you said you had a marketing budget. Could you share what that marketing budget was when you first launched? <laughs> I mean, sure. So it was uh, 9500 bucks. $9,500. There you go. Okay. And what did you spend it on? Because it's hard to get people to listen to a podcast from my experience, apart from the strategy that you shared, go getting promotions on other shows. Is that what is that where you allocated that those dollars? Well, we pioneered that in 2016. So at that moment in time, a lot of people were not doing that. Now it's a very common strategy. So I think that if I was to launch 
a podcast network or show now, I'd have to be a little bit more creative. Um, but that's what we really did in 2016. We really created this brand. And, and, and like I said, we faked a network before we really had it. Mm. And how did you know when it was time to launch the next show? I think as a you know entrepreneur, you have to go with your gut. I don't know if you ever know, but what I knew was this was really successful really quickly. And I felt there was something special happening. I saw every week the audience kept growing. And so we launched what was originally called Remarkable Lives, Tragic Deaths in September, I believe, or October. So roughly three or four months after that, which was a great learning for a lot of reasons. The other thing I would say going back, Nathan, what we did is we really focused on SEO. And so if you think of all the podcast shows, they were called Serial Killers, right? Because if you want to listen to a show on Serial Killers, what are you going to probably type in serial killers. If you're going to listen to a show on unsolved murders, you're probably going to go unsolved murders. And I think that's one of the hacks that we had is we were just very simple, which is actually very hard to maintain as you continue growing is being very simple and very focused. So for me, I didn't necessarily know that I was going to launch another show other than the fact that, wow, there's an audience here. It felt like the model I had was very scalable because I wasn't talent reliant. I was story first. And so when we launched, when we launched Remarkable Lives, Tragic Deaths, that show did fine, but it wasn't as successful as Unsolved Murders. And, the re- and there was a couple of reasons for that that I, that I came to realize afterwards. One is the name. No one searches Remarkable Lives, Tragic Deaths. So we quickly changed it to historical figures and we saw a huge increase. Um, and then the other area of it was it was a history show versus a crime show. And so for me, the audience that I was expecting was based off crime metrics versus history metrics, which is definitely a little bit different. From an underlying business perspective, though, you know, crime CPMs or cost per thousand that is done in advertising is a little bit less. So there is give and take on that. But it was a great learning. Historical figures went on to last for a few years, be very successful. And then really what changed the whole entire business was when we launched Serial Killers in February of 2017. Mm. And when you talk about success, um, from your view of the world, uh, I'd love to hear what do you think is success when it comes to a podcast? You look at numerical numbers. What should people be like the North Star of you know having a successful podcast? Is it half a million downloads a month? Is it 50,000 downloads, 100,000 downloads an episode? Like what is it? I, I'm keen to hear from your perspective that for a show to even get on your radar, your, like in you know, everything you do at Spotify, like I, I, I used to do at Spotify, I, I, I want to talk about um, that. I'm, I'm curious because you, you see all the data or you've, you've been exposed to a lot of incredible data. So it completely depends on the genre and the, and, the, and the show you're doing, right? So I think there's different metrics as I kind of mentioned around a true crime show versus a business show. Um, and I think that also, and this is probably the most important, I think success is really determined by the creator, right? So there's a tons of success, what I would say successful shows that may be getting 10 to 30,000 downloads per episode because they're in a highly efficient format or genre like business that are they able to sell things and get a CPM that may be $75 or $100 versus someone that may have 100,000 downloads per episode that's only able to capture a 13 or $14 CPM. So, and the other question to ask is, is podcasting your main business or is it a line item on your overall business? So it depends what the, what, what the podcast is servicing. So with that being said, like if you're doing podcasting full-time and that is your main source of revenue and you want to grow a, a hit show, um, my 
I was at Parcast before I got to Spotify. You know, we had to be doing at least 125,000 downloads per episode um, by the two-month mark was kind of the goal. And if we weren't doing that, we'd probably invest those resources somewhere else. Uh, I think a real hit, like a home run, is doing over you know a million downloads an episode now. Um, and I think that you know if you look at the biggest shows, they're doing that relatively quickly. Uh, definitely half a million at, at a minimum. Yep. And uh, I'm curious, how many shows did you have under the network before you were acquired by Spotify? That's a great question. Um, around 20. I think it was either 19 or 21. I'm forgetting. Got you. And what did the team look like? Was it one producer per show, one editor per show? What did the breakdown look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think when you kind of pull back what made Parcast special was we wanted to create this old studio mentality for production. I called it like the conveyor belt of scripts if Henry Ford had his conveyor belt. And, and the reality was what we did is if you looked at that time, there was a lot of other studios and production houses that would build teams around individual shows. So they would literally stand up three, four, or five people, depending on the show, sometimes 10 people, right? And have them go and produce. And that's a very costly model, something that I couldn't do for a lot of reasons. As I mentioned, I didn't raise money, but I also don't think that's the smartest strategy. And so what we did was we really pulled together our resources and had um, multiple writers and producers working on multiple shows based off sort of genres and verticals. And by doing that, we were able to get a better bang for our buck as well as allow people to continually feel like they are working on new content that's exciting to them versus the same show over and over again. And so when we sold to Spotify, we had around 30 employees, another 60 or so contractors um, that were producing over, call it 40 hours a week of content, which is pretty pretty a, a lean team that may think about it yeah so on average it's around two people per show yeah but i think there's that's not including we, that's if you're looking at the overall business there's a lot of operations and a lot of financial and business folks that aren't involved in production yeah got you yeah no that is yeah, okay interesting and so how did the spotify deal come about because it's been interesting how spotify over time has started to acquire uh, certain shows and content, and it's really a big content player. I know that um, you've you've been somebody that's been behind really driving that movement um, with the Collar Daddy deal, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, I'd love to hear how your deal came about with Parcast and what made you decide to sell. Uh, in October of 2018, I got a call from somebody by the name of uh, Courtney Holt, um, who was running podcasting at Spotify. And at that time, Spotify just started to distribute podcasts. So you had, you know, a bunch of like, I didn't know what to expect. I went to that meeting. I thought they wanted a distribution deal. I did not expect to come out of that meeting with them wanting to acquire me. And when I left that meeting, it was very clear they're interested in acquiring Parcast. Um, and Parcast wasn't for sale. I just started to make take a salary. I just started to, to make money in 2018, a couple months before. I was excited. Like I was really happy that I was like finally after, you know, three years almost and many years before that of of not having an income, um, I'm finally able to kind of start enjoying this. And it felt like I'd hit something special that was gonna get not necessarily easier, but I felt like I could start enjoying the work. And they just you know, came in at a very aggressive offer in December and January that um, 
as someone that saw the growth that had to probably consider taking and raising money or selling the multiple they offered me was, was probably the easiest decision of my life, um, given where I was. And I really wanted to put fuel to the fire of podcasts. And I felt that having someone like Spotify that was going to clearly have big ambitions, invest a lot of money in my team and the resources would allow podcasts to scale, um, efficiently and effectively. And that's what it was. And, you know, podcasts after the acquisition grew to be, the largest studio at Spotify um, grew to have many more team members uh, and launched a lot more shows and work with some of the most amazing talent in the world. And that may or, you know, maybe that happens outside of Spotify. I don't know. But for me, the four years at Spotify and the first two really running podcasts was just the best experience for, for me as a founder, which is, as you know, very rare for a founder to say. Mm, interesting. So for people listening uh, that, might be having conversations around potentially selling or or merging their business. How how, how do you, from your experience, how do you know when when that's right for your business? Well, for me, it's got to not just be an okay or yeah, it's got to be a fuck yeah. Um, and I think that's really important, right? So I think that if you're in a position of strength and you build something, why would you part with it? You know, I think is the first the first question you have to ask yourselves. And what is your motivations? What 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 defines success for you? For me, um, the money was a fuck yeah, but really it was the impact I could have. And that's what sold me on it. I felt by going to a company like Spotify that had a huge reach, now there's over 500 million users on Spotify monthly, the ability to help program that, to help influence talent, to help build something special on a global scale was really appealing to me. Um, the other thing for me that I considered strongly is I didn't view myself as like selling and being done. I was 28 at the time. Um, I felt I had a lot more chapters left and this was the end of one chapter. And this was starting another chapter in my journey. And I think by having that mentality, you know, one of the reasons why I left Spotify a couple months ago is because that chapter is closed. I've learned a lot, but I'm launching another, you know, I'm going to be launching another company in the future. And I think that I knew that before I got to Spotify. Um, I leaned into Spotify when I was there. I learned so much from so many amazing people and, and was able to grow a team um, of hundreds of people globally and got to lean into that. I got to work with the best town in the world. And all those experiences allowed me are going to allow me to be successful in my next venture, plain and simple. Now, for other founders, where are you in your life cycle? Are you in your 50s? Are you in your 60s? Are you younger? Are you older? Like, What is your goal? But I think you really have to think about your long-term goal because once you sell, it's done. And so you have to be comfortable with that decision. Hmm. And so I'm curious, what, what did you miss about entrepreneurship and what are you looking forward to in your next venture? Well, a lot of things I missed about it. I think that for me, the speed, the ability to move quickly, it is your best moat when you launch a company. And that became very clear to me while being at a big company is how, how the, advantage of, of the advantage small companies have around speed and decision-making and being able to move just really quickly and adapt to things that are working when you can see them. I think when you're at a larger company, naturally things have to move small, move a little slower because a lot more decision makers. And I think that was the, the hardest part for me was understanding that, especially early on um, and respecting it. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear 
from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I guess when it comes to working with all of these top creators, um, I, don't, I don't know if like uh, how, how much you can share, but how, how did the Caller Daddy deal come on your radar? And and uh, yeah, that that was like a that one made headlines, and it was pretty big move. Same with the Joe Rogan one, but that was yeah, that was the next big one. Like how how much can you share there? Yeah, I think I could, at, at a high level, what I can say is I've been a fan of Alex, who's the host of Caller Daddy for when she was at Barstool for a long time since that show first launched. I felt that that show was doing something different in podcasting. Um, I thought that she was just incredibly talented. And when it was clear that there was going to be a falling out and there was a falling out at Barstool and Spotify had an opportunity to work with Alex, I was all in because as someone, as an executive as I could say, creative turned executive, the ability to work with the most talented creators in the world is just truly inspiring to me. And I thought Alex and what Spotify could do, and I truly believe this, what Spotify could do for Alex, what Alex could do for Spotify seemed like a partnership made in heaven. And I would say once we got that deal done, and you know, it takes time to do deals of that size and that magnitude, but once a deal like that gets done, um, it's been clear to me over the last year and a half since I believe we did the deal that it's worked. It's worked for Alex and it's worked for Spotify. And I don't know if she goes anywhere else if that's the case. Um, and I don't know if we lose her, what that means for Spotify. But I think a deal like that, you always have to start off like, what does the creator want? What is the creator looking for? What does success look like for them? And we have to, Spotify in that case, look internally to make sure we are the right fit. Because what I truly believe is if that we can't deliver on the promises we're making in any deal, in any partnership, it's not going to be good for anybody. And for and for Alex, I thought we could definitely deliver, and I think we've done that. And for other creators that we've had the pleasure of working with, from you mentioned Joe Rogan to Brene Brown to uh, Emma Chamberlain. Now, like I think there's a there's a reason why we work with certain creators, and we're very deliberate with those creators we work with. Mm. What's also interesting for me is looking at both sides of the table: the side on the creator side, and the side of essentially kind of like the network, like Barstool isn't known as a podcast network, but they have a lot of podcasts, right? Like they, that that's a big strength of their content arm. I'd say probably one of the biggest um, is everyone talks about the $60 million deal and we're not going to talk about the split or whatever, but I, I'd assume that Barstool would have owned a decent majority of that show and that was a great, great outcome for the business. But then I look at the Spotify side, and you talk, you've got, you know, half a billion active monthly users, you know, acquiring shows of like superstar talent just drives a lot more user base, a lot more usage. So 
I think when you look at the number, it probably was a no-brainer. When you look at back now in the now numbers that you probably see, is that probably like is that is that? But then you look at the creator, and the creator wants like I'm sure that she wanted to go more mainstream, have access to more higher, well-known celebrity type guests that perhaps Barstool couldn't even break those doors, and she that's what she was able to do as well. So is that kind of how the value equation? Is that, is that a good summary well, of the value equation? I think there's equation? a couple of things. Yeah. So I, I think from you know a platform's perspective, it's not just user acquisition, but it's consumption time and does ha- doing a deal with a podcast host in Spotify's case, does that increase consumption of, both, of a user? So if you're currently on Spotify and you're just listening to music and you're listening three hours a month, four hours a month, and all of a sudden we do a podcast deal and that user now is listening six, seven, eight hours a month, that is very valuable to Spotify. So it's not just user acquisition. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the in the equation. Time spent is very important. Um, and that's for any platform. In terms of Alex, you know, it's hard for me to, to speculate why she wanted to come to Spotify. And I don't necessarily want to do that. But I do think for, you made a point around the barstool, you know, what is public is obviously to Alex's credit, she was able to negotiate full ownership of her RSS feed and her podcast away from Barstool when there was that breakup. And that's very out there and well known. And I think that speaks to Alex as the entrepreneur, Alex as not just a creator, but a very savvy businesswoman. Um, and that allowed the deal to really come to fruition because I think it would have been hard for any company to kind of come in if there's multiple players around the ownership and it wasn't cleared and all those sort of things. Ah, okay. Yeah, sorry. For some reason, I thought that Barstool still owned it, but no, okay, there you go. No. Okay, interesting. Awesome. So I'd love to switch gears and talk about kind of successful podcasts a bit more. Just we'd be silly not to (laughs) with all your experiences. Um what differentiates a successful podcast? Like you said that, Alex, it was pretty clear what she was doing was different and something you'd never seen and it was really, 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 really impressive. She was an impressive creator. Like what, what do you differentiate a successful podcast? So totally, you have to look at this from the genre you're in, right, and what you're looking at. But I think in general, if you're just going to say what makes a successful podcast, it's being authentic. Um, It's very hard to lie to an audience um, that's listening to you either every week or eight episodes. If you think about the intimacy of podcasting historically and still right now, it's normally people listening on their car ride to work when they're going for a walk. It's just you and that host or the two hosts. You become their best friends, plain and simple. And so I think that you have to be very authentic to yourself. You can't really fake it. And the podcasts that have tried to be someone they're not tend to come and go pretty quickly. So I think that's, you know, number one. And if you see the the ones that have really worked at Spotify specifically and in podcasts, they've all had authentic voices. They're all true to themselves and they're not going to change for, for anybody. Um, from a metric perspective, there is there is success around when you say what is success, just seeing some of these podcasts just stay at the top of the charts and consistently grow week over week over week. And I think that happens from chemistry as well. So if you're thinking about, the Morbid Girls, right? It's an amazing podcast that really came into the crime space and disrupted it. The chemistry there is unbelievable. Not only are they authentic, but they have unique chemistry because they've known each other their whole entire life. So you can't replicate that. You look at Smartless, clearly best friends off, off mic, you know? And so I think there's something to be said about that. Other ways to differentiate is a premium factor. Um, and so if you're looking at short run and limited run series, investing in story 
invest finding breaking news, investing in that and really spending the time to get that story apart from it. Like a docu perspective, I think is really unique. And, and you've seen a lot of shows kind of pop in the moment when they're released and some have gone on to go to TV and, and et cetera from there. So those are really the ingredients that I look for. Mm, awesome. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I'm curious as well, like from the business side of podcasting, um, what is it ads? Is it creating your own product? Is it starting a network from everything that you've seen in the world that you've been exposed to? What do you think is a really strong pathway to build a business around podcasting? So I think that it depends if you're doing this from a company and a network perspective, or if you're doing this as an individual creator. So maybe for this audience, it's, it's probably the company. So we can talk about that. Um, I think that if you're in podcasting, you're trying to build out a network or a studio in this day and age, you have to build for the next version of media. And the next version of the modern media, modern media company is not just content. It's not just ads. It's content plus fandom plus community plus some sort of e-commerce all wrapped into a lifestyle. And I think that when you're thinking of that perspective, the podcast serves as to lead the content, to set the tone, to set who you are, to set your identity out there, to build a connection. To which then leads to your community, whether it's on Patreon, whether it's a subscription service, whether it's live events, all these sort of things have to work closely together, merch, et cetera. And then, of course, you're seeing more creators and more brands help them launch commerce products, um, whether it's Emma Chamberlain's coffee, for example, or, or things that are authentic to that creator. Um, and so I think that is the future, right? And so from a business perspective, how do you build that? How do you provide hooks for creators and your talent? That they look at you as not just a transactional relationship, but an actual true partner. Whoever figures that out will be very successful in sort of the next iteration of podcasting and media. If you're an individual creator, I would say it's the same thing, right? It's if you're doing your podcast, yes, ads is how you make, you know, historically most of your money. It's probably ads plus subscriptions, plus live, plus merch, plus commerce, plus all these sort of things coming together. So I think that... Um, it's not as easy anymore as just the content. You can do that. You can make a great living off it. But if you want to be savvy from a business perspective and from a media perspective, you have to really taking a whole entire 360 approach in view. Mm. Love it. And uh, if you were to start a new podcast in 2023, you had a budget of, let's just say, five grand, um, how would you approach it? It depending, I know it'll, you're going to say depending on the genre, but how, how would you approach it uh, and what advice would you give to people looking to start a podcast in 2023? Everybody seems to be doing very similar types of shows. So it's um, about being different. I think everyone is trying to produce content for entertainment. I think it's content as utility. How to be part of somebody's day, how do they get value out of it? You have a huge opportunity in that segment. So I would think about producing content as utility that was probably daily or if not twice a week that had to become part an undeniable part of somebody's day that they had to get hooked to it they had to use it the format would be under 15 minutes so i could already slid into their time slot versus having them to give up another hour a week or two hours a week i would have videos an element of it i would clip it i'd put it on social i'd build relevancy around it i would make strategic partnerships that would be free with like apples and spotify's of the world to talk about why this is different to talk about why this is necessary for their users and i think that's very important and then i'd also 
try to convince I'm doing content as a utility, it's not competitive to existing podcasts. So I would 100% convince to the best of my ability, other podcasts that I think are content adjacent to that to talk about it. Mm. You talk about podcasts as a utility. H- how? Like I, I'm, I'm not quite following. So I think that if you're going to go listen to um, a talk show and that's entertainment, right? You're going there, you're getting entertainment. To me, content is utilities. Like what can I gain from it? So like if I'm thinking about every morning, it's going to be a one minute meditation podcast followed by the five things that you know about today that becomes a utility to me i need to understand that if i think of what peloton has done around health and wellness can i launch a and now with video can i launch my own wellness class that's a podcast effectively and that becomes part of somebody's day i look at what huberman's done i don't think it's that different actually um and so i think the idea is that if you have six million podcasts and five and a half million of them or more are trying to be the next caller daddy the next whatever show that is that already exists you have to do something differently if everybody's going right you should be going left that's how i've always made my success and that's why i think right now is a great time to actually launch a podcasting company and a media company because everybody seems to be very anxious and anytime there's macroeconomic issues going on anytime there's disruption happening um that's a huge opportunity for an entrepreneur to go into that space that may not be the coolest at the moment because it will be out some moment of time and it will come back. And I think it was Carl Icahn, someone said, you make a lot of money by buying things when nobody wants them and selling things when everybody wants them. And I think a lot of people will, will take a long-term view and do that. Mm. That was a great answer. Thank you. Um, that was gold. So what about storytelling? What advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking to tell better stories about their business? About their business, so not podcasting. Um, everything is story. And I'd say that's the one thing I've learned doing a podcast company. The way you talk, the way you tell your thing, it needs to be story focused. You need to take your investors or whoever your audience is on an adventure, on a story. Why does this matter? And you need to hook them within 20 seconds. And so my biggest thing, and I would just say this is the same, is that if if I don't have my audience's attention and I, you can tell there's social cues and things like that within 20 seconds, I've, I've lost, there's no way to get them back. And I think there's been studies around this. And so you need to have a selling point. You need to, everyone talks about an elevator pitch. I think that's a little aggressive. I actually like to like, let it go out a little bit, but I do think you need to lead with your strengths, your weaknesses and be focused. And most importantly, you need to be authentic to yourself. I think any wise investor or, or potential user They'll know if you're just pushing a product. They'll know if it's not really you. And I think that's the most important thing. Mm. So if you could choose one, host, hook, or story, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, if it's a, I would say now if I'm going to go for a home run and not just get on base, it's going to be host. So personalities tend to provide the biggest upside from an audience perspective. So you need to be able to have that now. If you just want to maybe differentiate, get a double. Um, I think story matters a lot, but it's clear to me that if you look at, and then it's clear in the data, if you look at everything, the biggest shows are personality driven. So host is the most important. Yep. Okay. And, uh, when it comes to working with talent and identifying talent, um, I'm, I have to ask you about that as well. Um, I, I'm curious, how do you find up and coming talent? Is there any 
kind of wisdom or experiences you could share there for anybody that's looking to work with talent? Talent is becoming such a big thing now, whether it's from a commerce perspective, whether it's from a platform perspective, or it's from an ambassador perspective. What what advice or experiences can you share there around talent and identifying talent and up and more more, more specifically up and coming talent? It's about engagement for me. Um, and so I think a lot of times, especially now with TikTok being viral and all these sort of things, it's about under it's about finding talent that has huge engagement within their community and it can be a small community and making strategic bets on them long term and talking to them. Right. So I think I'll break the question into kind of two categories. The one is how do you find them? And then when you talk to them, how do you tell if it's something you want to bet on? To find them, it's a hundred percent around engagement and unique perspective. Are they, do they have a perspective on the world? Do they have a perspective on whatever they're talking about? And is it resonating? And you can kind of pick on these trends pretty quickly. And I do think like that perspective is the most important thing, especially if you're building a podcast company. Do they have any perspective? Are they not necessarily controversial, but are they willing to take a stand? That is very important. And if they are phenomenal, let's have a conversation. Um, and then the second thing is once you get in the room with talent, it's, you have to imagine working with them for a long time. And there's certain talent that'll motivate you. And there's other talents that might not motivate you. I've always believed that I had to be motivated by the talent. I know what I bring to the table. Um, and I know that I'm going to try my hardest to make that talent happy. Like I want that talent to be living, breathing, sleeping this podcast. I want them to be all about it. I don't want me having to pitch them on the idea. I want them to be pitching me. I want them to be excited. And, and the, all these things pick up in the room. I think the biggest mistakes that have been made in podcasting in the last three or four years is executives going after existing Hollywood talent, for example, or existing talent in other medias and pitching them on a podcast because they think they have a huge following and really that they may have a huge following, but if they don't care about the podcast, it translates. And all these podcasts tend not to do that well because of that, right? So it's not the size, it's not the superstar, it is the engagement, it is the passion. And ideally, I want this to be their main source of income. I want them to be really be all invested in this and not just be a line item and whatever else they're doing. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Um, one thing I was thinking about when you mentioned that around engagement, and I'd, I'd begin to hear your take actually, is one thing I've noticed when it comes to talent engagement and that relationship that creators or talent has with their audience, community, fans, etc., is there's a there's a there's a correlation between the level of vulnerability and how vulnerable um, that person is to build that connection. Um, and like, if you look at you know, I don't know it's probably not the best example, but if you look at the Kardashians, they have they have shared their whole lives for you know the past twenty plus years with the world, you know, good, good, bad, or ugly, um, and they've been incredibly vulnerable throughout it. And that, and I think it, I personally believe it's one of the reasons that they have such a strong following, apart from all these other factors around you know the business side, manipulating PR, all sorts of things. But I'm curious to hear your take on that what i've just said do you do you agree disagree you have to be vulnerable you have i mean i think it goes more than just a podcast i think it's about being an entrepreneur and, and leading your team and and having that if you look at the most successful i would argue entrepreneurs i know it's helped me be successful as you're being vulnerable to your team you're showing empathy <laughs> funny Brene brown taught me this when i got to produce her podcast um 
it allows you to connect deeper with people when people say, oh, he's is human or, oh, the Kardashians are human. They are being themselves and they're unapologetic about it. And I think that's okay. People are allowed to make mistakes. People are allowed to not be perfect. And if you're thinking about podcasting, this goes back to sort of the authenticity that I was talking with, with you earlier about. It's about being vulnerable 100%. That's a rare connection. And if you look at TikTok and you look at Instagram, you look at YouTube, there does tend to be a clear, you know, pattern around the successful creators and there is vulnerability in there. There is the ability to have some form of self-awareness. And I think that is incredibly powerful if you allow that to happen. Mm, love it. Okay. Uh, one last question, then we've got to move to the hot seat round. Um, you've been named one of the most powerful people in podcasting. How do you handle that responsibility? I don't think about it. <laughs> Maybe that's the, the best way to, to do it. I don't know if that's true or not. There's a lot of these lists. I think for me, it's what drives me. And what drives me is more recently is how can I have a positive impact on creators? How can I help them grow their business? How can I really help them, you know, serve them in many ways? And I think that is what really guides me. And if that means that I'm one of the most powerful people in podcasting, fantastic. But ultimately, I don't think it's good for anybody to get caught up on lists. It's about doing what you love and following your passions and then everything else just follows. It's a very humble answer. Thank you. Um, We'll move to the hot seat round. Uh, just rapid fire questions and answers. Um, first one is what podcasts are in your feed right now? Oh, uh, The Town um, is the one that I'm currently obsessed with, which is it talks about Hollywood uh, business effectively um, and the All In podcast I've been listening to quite a bit. What does it feel like when you're doing good work? Energizing. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? This will pass. What's something that you've learned today? I had a flat tire earlier this morning and I learned how to <laughs> to get that fixed. <laughs> That's probably not the answer you wanted to hear, but that is what kept coming in my in my mind. Um, you know, I think that it's I think one thing I, I'm constantly reminded is that it's okay to send cold emails or DMs to certain people. And if you come at it from a, the right perspective, you get responses and it always surprises me. All right, last question. Uh, this one's my favorite. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? It's a great question. Um, right now, I'd definitely be Elon Musk. Um, I think that while obviously there's controversy around what he's doing, um, I think that without any questions, if you look at his career over the last 20 years, it's pretty remarkable. And um, it would be really an honor to, to just get to chat with him. Awesome. Well, Max, thank you so much for your time. I'm excited to see what you look to build next uh, and I'll be watching from afar. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for being so open, honest, sharing so much wisdom, experiences, lessons learned uh, from your journey thus far. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and this was fun. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. 
These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.